On Thursday night, President Joe Biden gave a speech on the battle for the soul of the nation. And in Biden's defense, he never specified which side of the battle he was on. The speech was delivered in the ominous dark at night with the building behind him lit up in an ominous red light with two Marines in silhouette behind him forced to stand there on guard as Biden scapegoated half the country as not only the cause of all of our national problems, but indeed as posing an existential threat to the future of our democracy just by our very presence. Virtually every conservative and even many libs are describing this speech as a huge mistake, needlessly provocative, even, even just from the standpoint of aesthetics, downright cartoonishly Hitlerian. The second two points are correct. But the first point is off because the speech was not a mistake. The darkness, the rhetoric, even the beer hall putsch gesticulations, they were all intentional. Biden wants right-wingers to be provoked to violence. He is practically begging us to do an insurrection. We didn't do an insurrection last time. They really wanted us to do an insurrection. They're really trying to get us to do an insurrection now. Because with the perfect record of failure that Biden and the Democrats currently have, with his poll numbers on everything, issue by issue, down in the doldrums, the only way that the libs can even hope to stop the electoral bleeding come November is to double down on their tried and true strategy of encouraging blood in the streets. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Thursday, boy, it's been a while, was from Christian Thompson, who says, the next time that KJP calls half the country an extreme threat to democracy, Peter Ducey should ask her if she can define democracy. She won't be able to. This is a really great point, and you shouldn't just use it with Green Jean-Pierre. You should use it on every lib. You know, my pal Matt Walsh had this wonderful rhetorical trick which is that whenever someone would talk about transgenderism and say trans women are women, he would just say, what is a woman? He turned that little joke into an entire movie. We should do exactly the same thing with democracy because the libs, in the way that they are using the word democracy, cannot have a real definition of democracy. They can't come up with it. Because they're saying that when the majority of people vote for Trump or Bolsonaro or Viktor Orban or any right winger, when the majority of people vote for a conservative, that that is a threat to democracy, which is ultimately self-undermining. Always ask that question. What is democracy? What is it? Maybe that'll be my next movie. We'll have to see. When I want to get back to basics in America. Okay, I don't just think about our political institutions. I don't just think about the star-spangled banner and the red, white, and blue. You know what? I, sometimes I think about going out and grilling on the 4th of July. And when I want to go grill some good food, I check out my pals at Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Regardless of what this administration calls a recession, Americans are worried. Food and gas prices are higher than they've ever been, certainly in my lifetime, I think just ever, uh, which is why I'm so grateful for my favorite meat delivery service, Good Ranchers. While grocery store meat prices continue to rise, Good Ranchers' inflation-proof model locks in your price the day you subscribe for the life of your subscription. So I've got to just pause it there for a second because it seems unbelievable. Y yes, not only are you getting extremely inexpensive, very, very high-quality meat, 
But when you subscribe, you just lock in that price forever for the whole length of the subscription. By the way, you can pause your subscription for up to 90 days or cancel anytime you want. You're not going to want to. You're going to want to keep it. 100% American meat, born, raised, and harvested in the U.S., goes right to your door. Their beef is prime or upper choice. The two highest grades, superior steakhouse quality. I just absolutely, absolutely love these guys. Right now, when you go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles, use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S at checkout, you will get 30 bucks off plus free shipping. You can subscribe to lock in your price and recession-proof your meals for life. That's goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout. I'm going to fly through this Biden speech, but I really want to hit some points here that I have not seen anyone else, not other conservatives, not really anybody else, talking about this speech The biggest mistake that the conservatives are making here is that they're calling it a mistake. Yes, it didn't test very well. Yes, in the short term, it looks really bad for Biden and the Democrats. The speech was not a mistake. The whole thing, the setting, the rhetoric, the arm movements, all of it was scripted. All of it was intentional. Why? Why? Because the people who are are deciding Joe Biden's political operations think that it will help them in November and moving forward. This was the most significant presidential speech of my lifetime. It was not the best. It was not the most virtuous. It was not not the most honest, but it was the most significant. This was as close to a declaration of war on half the country as I have ever heard from an American president, ever, throughout all of history. Frankly, Abraham Lincoln was was more accommodating and was softer on the secessionists than Joe Biden was on ordinary conservative Republicans. Abraham Lincoln had malice toward none and charity for all. Joe Biden, uh uh-uh, malice for half the country, charity for absolutely nobody. He opens up the speech by setting the stage. He says, we are here in this place for a reason. I speak to you tonight from sacred ground in America. Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is where America made its declaration of independence to the world more than two centuries ago with an idea unique among nations that in America, we're all created equal. This is where the United States Constitution was written and debated. This is where we set in motion the most extraordinary experiment of self-government the world has ever known. The location is important. It's not just because Pennsylvania is a toss-up for the Senate seat, though that's part of why Joe Biden showed up there. The reason why he showed up here, though, for this national address, and he says we're at Independence Hall, this is where America began, this is the home of the revolution, is because he's calling for a kind of a revolution. His rhetoric is revolutionary rhetoric. He is saying we need to overthrow the traditional American system, and we need to take half this country, as we will come to hear in in the rest of the speech, half this country is a threat to this country, and we need to ostracize half this country, and we need to suppress half this country, and we can't let half this country have any say over where the country goes. He then, there was a, there was a little point that I didn't see anyone else notice, but it shows you just how radical the cultural revolution on the left is. Joe Biden, it, it placed his speech in history in the long march toward greater liberty and equality and freedom for all. Listen to how he did it. We, the people, have burning inside of each of us the flame of liberty 
that was lit here at Independence Hall. A flame that lit our way through abolition, the Civil War, suffrage, the Great Depression, world wars, civil rights. Did you catch that one bit in there? Suffrage? So he says, it lit our way through the long march for civil rights, through, the, through this, through that, through the Civil War, through the Depression, through the long march for civil rights, through the suffrage. Suffrage, what do you mean suffrage? We've had suffrage since the beginning of the country. Suffrage just means the right to vote. What he's referring to is women's suffrage during the progressive era in the early 20th century. But he can't say women's suffrage. He can't say women's suffrage because Democrats don't know what a woman is. I promise you that was intentional. This whole thing was scripted out. You never hear women's suffrage referred to as just suffrage. The, the women's suffrage movement is called the women's suffrage movement, except now that the Democrats have completely sold women down the river and deny that women even exist as a category of being. So now they got to change it to suffrage. Shows you how radical that revolution has become. Then he gets to the meat of his speech. He says, you conservatives, it's not just that we disagree. It's not just that you want to take our country in a bad place. It's not just even to use Obama's rhetoric, the conservatives are going to drive America off a cliff. No, they're saying that the conservatives, by their very presence, by their very existence here and voicing their political views, pose an existential threat to the country. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. Okay, so there he contradicts himself, right? He says, listen, the MAGA Republicans, they're the threat, but they're not the majority of Republicans. I've worked with them. And first of all, if you just look at the polls, yes, they are. The Never Trump movement barely exists. It is statistically not relevant at all. It's pretty much just Bill Kristol and a handful of his friends that come over for tea to whine about the last seven years of conservative politics. But the vast majority of Republicans have at some point in some way supported Donald Trump. They are MAGA Republicans. He's doing this because he doesn't, he doesn't want to come right out and say half the country is evil, but that is what he's saying. And then he contradicts himself at the end when he says, look, he starts out, this, the, these MAGA Republicans, they're not the majority of Republicans, they're not the mainstream, but they also dominate the Republican Party and control the direction of the party. Uh, I don't think so. You can't have it both ways. Uh, so why does he focus on MAGA Republicans? One, because he wants to vilify half of the country without totally admitting he's vilifying half the country. But two, he wants to justify the arrest of Donald Trump. On February, I think it was February 21st, Vladimir Putin gave a speech in which he laid out his justification for the invasion of Ukraine. And he said, it goes all the way back, not just to Stalin, it goes all the way back, not just to Lenin, it goes so much further back in history. This is why Russia has a claim on Ukraine. And this is why in a hypothetical world, if Russia were ever to make a, a more direct territorial claim on Ukraine, why that would totally be justified. Three days later, Putin invades much more of Ukraine than he had previously occupied. Okay, so he used that speech to lay the philosophical, intellectual groundwork 
for the invasion that happened not long thereafter. The purpose of this speech was to lay the intellectual groundwork, such as it is when Joe Biden is giving it, uh, for the arrest of Donald Trump. Every move that we have seen from the FBI and the DOJ uh, at the direction of Joe Biden's political appointees, if not Joe Biden himself, has been to double down on investigating Trump, to raid Donald Trump's home, to push for more investigations of Trump's businesses, all in the lead up to 2024. The direction that this is moving in is an indictment of Donald Trump. Now, it might not happen because some judges are now getting involved and saying, hey, you can't do that. Hey, we need to have a special master come in and take a look at this investigation. Hey, this, hey, that, to obstruct and slow it down. But there is absolutely no question in my mind whatsoever. The purpose of the speech is to justify the next move that the Biden administration wants to make. That is to arrest Donald Trump. Makes me think we need some personnel changes over there at the White House. And when you want to deal with personnel, when you want to deal with HR, you got to check out Bambi. Right now, head on over to Bambi.com and type in Michael Knowles under podcast when you sign up. When you are running a business, you will get hit with all kinds of strange scenarios. Let's say an employee not showing up to work on time, maybe a wrongful termination suit. One complaint can destroy your entire company. The problem is HR managers are expensive. They can easily cost over $80,000 per year. But with Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. All of Bambi's HR managers are based in the United States. They can support the nuances across all 50 states. Your manager is available by phone, email, and real-time chat to help you effortlessly run employee onboardings and terminations, encourage good performance, and make sure your business stays compliant with ever-changing HR regulations. With Bambi's HR Autopilot, you can automate the most important HR practices, such as setting policies, training, and feedback. In fact, Bambi clients are four times less likely to have a complaint filed against them. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type Michael Knowles under podcast when you sign up. That is B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Bambi.com, type in Michael Knowles. So after vilifying half the country, Joe Biden comes back out and he says, look, look, I'm standing here. I look like I'm at the beer hall putsch. Okay, I've got the scary red behind me. I'm raising my hands up screaming. Uh, Half the country's evil, threat to democracy. But I want to be a uniter. I want to be a uniter, not a divider. I'm a president. There's no red America. There's no blue America. He's trying to do a stupid Obama impression. He goes, I'm a president for all of America. But I'm an American president. Not a president of red America, blue America, but of all America. And I believe it's my duty, my duty to level with you, to tell the truth, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. Listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, for red America or blue America. I'm for all of America, except for red America. They hate the constitution and they deny the will of the people, even though they're half the people. And, but when they exert their will, that's bad and anti-democracy. And when our half exerts its will, that's pro-democracy. Not one America or two Americas. It's just, It's just incoherent is what it is. And then he ratchets it up even further. Again, this is the point of the speech. This is why it was not a mistake. Joe Biden is provoking political violence. And this is a nation that rejects violence as a political tool 
We do not encourage violence. We are still an America that believes in honesty and decency and respect for others. Patriotism, liberty, justice for all, hope, possibilities. We are still, at our core, a democracy. And yet, history tells us the blind loyalty to a single leader and a willingness to engage in political violence is fatal to democracy. There is no place for political violence in America, period, none, ever. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Joe Biden. The only problem, of course, is that your side is the only side engaging in political violence. It's the only one. I'm not even going to have a caveat here. It's the only side. The BLM riots that burned the country down for eight months and killed dozens of people. The congressional baseball game shooting that almost killed Steve Scalise. That was a Bernie bro who undertook that. The Brett Kavanaugh assassination attempt. That There was a liberal from California who took a bus across the country to go and murder Brett Kavanaugh because the Supreme Court was going to overrule Roe v. Wade. How did he know about that? Because it was leaked by a liberal who was working for the court. And these protests that were illegal were encouraged by elected Democrats, including by the White House, all the ones outside the justices' homes. Because Maxine Waters said, go up to Republicans where they are in public, at the restaurants, in the public square, at their homes where their children sleep, and quote, push back on them and tell them they're not wanted here. The list goes on and on. We'd be here for three shows if I just had to list the incidents of political violence from the libs over the last five years. Okay, it's all coming from his side. And then he has the temerity to look, the conservatives in the United States, there's no place for political violence, <laughs> except BLM. <laughs> yeah, there's no place for political violence. Yeah, <laughs> except, except for us, when we show up in public and push back on you guys, you and start shoving you and attacking you and trying to assassinate your judges. <laughs> yeah, what I mean is there's no place for political violence from you. You won't. You won't you won't do political violence, conservatives. Yeah, you won't. Come on. Come on. Come on, do an insurrection. Come on, do an insurrection. That's what he's saying. That's the the point of this. Every time Joe Biden accuses his opponents of something, that is a confession that he himself is doing it. You see it not not one breath later when Biden starts talking about the, the sacred responsibility of Americans to respect elections. Democracy cannot survive when one side believes there are only two outcomes to an election. Either they win or they were cheated. And that's where the MAGA Republicans are today. They don't understand what every patriotic American knows. You can't love your country only when you win. An amazing statement. It had, it had to be intentional because we know Al Gore still hasn't really conceded the 2000 election. Al Gore still insinuates that he won that election and was cheated and that George Bush was an illegitimate president. Hillary Clinton says it explicitly. She says that that was an illegitimate election in 2016. And it was the Russians, and it was the Macedonians, and it was the this, and it was the that. And she was, she was really elected. Stacey Abrams, running for governor of Georgia, is still pretending that she was elected governor of Georgia. She's using explicit language about that alleged election fraud, no evidence for it at all. And then Biden at the end, he says, you can't love your country only when you win. Michelle Obama in 2008 said that the first time she was ever proud of her country in her adult life was when it elected her husband. Michelle Obama 
introduced at the national political level, the idea that you should only love your country when you win. That's an idea that came out of the Obama administration. Now Biden accuses the Republicans of doing that completely baselessly. And he goes back and he says, listen, I know I've just vilified all of you and I've said you're anti-American and half this country is illegitimate, but we need to respect our differences. American democracy only works only if we choose to respect the rule of law and the institutions that were set up in this chamber behind me. Only if we respect our legitimate political differences. Now, the key word to understanding what Biden means is the word legitimate, because on its face, it doesn't make any sense. He's, he's giving a speech about how we shouldn't respect the political views of half the country. But what the, the point hinges on is this word legitimate, because Biden has said that the views of half the country are not legitimate. So they don't need to be considered. They need to be excluded from our democracy. They have no role in our country. When he says that, that we can debate our legitimate differences, what he's basically saying is, do we trans the kids at age three or do we wait until they turn four? That's, that, there can be a legitimate difference of opinion. Do we trans the kids? Do, do we, should we kill babies all the way up until the moment of birth? Or should we say, hey, only up until the day before birth? That's the legitimate difference of opinion. The legitimate difference of opinion is, do we take in 3 million immigrants a year or only 2,999,999? We can have a legitimate difference of opinion. But if you, you want to talk about actual differences of, of opinion on the way the country ought to go, no, we, should, we can't respect those. That would be a threat to our democracy. Democracy would be a threat to our democracy, which in Joe Biden's mind just means liberalism. And then in this extremely gloomy, ominous speech, with the red and the screaming and the, you know, he's, he almost slips into a Prussian accent while he's giving it. He says that we need to be optimistic. Even in this moment, with all the challenges we face, I give you my word as a Biden, I've never been more optimistic about America's future. Not because of me, but because of who you are. We're going to end cancer as we know it. Mark my words. All nature is but art unknown to thee, all chance direction which thou canst not see. After this doom and gloom, fire and brimstone, we are going to come for you, our political opponent's speech. He says, but we need to be optimistic. We need, to, and as he says optimistic, right on cue, you hear a siren in the background. <laughs> because, because, the, the very structure of reality will not tolerate that kind of preposterous, disingenuous, hypocritical lie from Joe Biden. Doom and gloom and pessimism, but we need to be optimistic. Woo, woo, I don't, things aren't looking too optimistic, Joe. Woo, woo. And he, he ends the speech on what I think was the most, people would call it a gaffe. I would call it a Freudian slip. Ages still to come will say, we, all of us here, we kept the faith. We preserved democracy. We heeded our worst. We, we heeded not our worst instincts, but our better angels. There it is. <laughs> we heeded our worst instincts. At, oh, wait, whoops. Was I not supposed to? Oh, no, no. Sorry, I got confused. We heeded not our worst instincts. There it is. A Freudian slip where you say one thing, but mean your mother. So that was the Biden speech, okay? Red, screaming, gesticulations, were half the country's evil and illegitimate. Now, coincidentally, uh, Donald Trump just gave his first public speech since the raid on Mar-a-Lago, since the Biden administration raided Biden's predecessor and chief political rival, uh, totally unprecedented. So banana republic kind of stuff. And so 
Donald Trump gets out there and he gives his speech to his conservative supporters. Take a listen, compare and contrast. Fetterman may dress like a teenager getting high in his parents' basement, but he's a raging lunatic hell-bent on springing hardened criminals out of jail in the middle of the worst crime wave in Pennsylvania history. Hilarious. as The whole speech was hilarious. Notice Donald Trump's red, white, and blue everywhere. Joe Biden's just red everywhere. Dark red. Donald Trump's red, white, and blue everywhere. Joe Biden's very dark, ominous. Donald Trump's big, smiley, bright lights. Everyone, Joe Biden's everyone yelling and angry and fear half this country is a threat to democracy. Donald Trump's, yeah, you see this Fetterman guy? He's totally nuts. We shouldn't vote for him. You should vote for the other guy because Fetterman, he's going to be a bad politician. Which one of those two speeches is more in line with the American tradition? The Biden hall putsch or Donald Trump giving a campaign rally? Which one of those two speeches seems like the threat to democracy? Which of those two speeches seems on the lighter side of the battle for the American soul? It's not even a question. And and Trump is smart here. He's not taking the bait in, in this obvious provocation for political violence. He's just laughing his way to November. He's saying, look, we might have the forces right against us. All right. We might have a lot of stuff to take on, not just the Democrats, but the whole deep state and the whole, the whole fetid swampy establishment. But we're just going to keep our chins up. We're going to keep doing the right thing. We're going to, we're going to hug that American flag. Picture those two images. Biden screaming, yelling red all around him. Donald Trump hugging the American flag, kissing the American flag at that speech during his presidency. You got those two images. Trump says, we're going to do that. That's really going to be the way we keep the faith. That's going to be the way. If we are to keep our democracy, that's how we're going to do it. The clearest evidence, I think, that the Dems are trying to provoke political violence now just came out of the VA, just came out of the Veterans Affairs Administration. The Biden administration VA has just responded to the Dobbs decision overruling Roe v. Wade and to the pro-life laws passed in the pro-life states. And they've said, we are going to perform abortions even in the red states, even when the red states pass pro-life laws, and there's nothing you can do about it. Here's the rule. Rule says that the pro-life state laws are, quote, not founded in science or based on evidence, and state and local laws and regulations that would prevent VA healthcare professionals from providing needed abortion-related care, as permitted by this rule, are preempted. VA is taking steps to guarantee that veterans and other VA beneficiaries abortion-related care uh, anywhere in this country. So this, this is a very clear attempt to provoke some kind of insurrection, civil war, or violence. In as much as now you've got the federal government declaring war on the states on an issue that is frankly even more fundamental than slavery. The civil war breaks out because of a disagreement between the national government and the state governments over an extremely intractable moral issue such as slavery. Abortion is even more so. Because slavery, you're talking about the nature of liberty to man and his rights to it. With abortion, you're talking about the right to life, which is an even more fundamental right. And here, you've got the federal government saying, okay, the states, you want to pass your laws? I don't care. We're going to go in and kill the babies in your states anyway. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, huh? You're going to do an insurrection? Come on. We've only got like 60 days to the election. Come on, do an insurrection. We're going to kill all the babies. We're going to 
And we're going to give speeches in dark red lights. Booga, booga, booga. Do an insurrection. Booga, booga, booga. That's what they're saying. That's the whole, that's what the speech is about. That's what the VA rule is about. The libs want violence. Speaking of violence, a transvestite child rapist and murderer has just made headlines, not for uh, the murder or the child rape or even the transvestitism. He's made headlines because he is uh, now a uh, much appreciated uh, counselor to left-wing lawmakers on prison reform. Yes, he is he is giving his advice and testimony on how to go easier on murderers and rapists and transvestites in prison. Uh, this man's name is Patrick Trimble. He now goes by Patricia. He just penned an article for the Prison Journalism Project uh, that aims to empower incarcerated journalists by giving them a platform. Uh, he's a regular contributor to here. He's to this journal. He uh, wrote about preparing a presentation for a class at Missouri University. He was contacted by a professor of criminology. He says, quote, it is not unusual for me to be asked to write an article or story about things in my wheelhouse. The things in his wheelhouse, by the way, are murder and rape. But in his wheelhouse now, they're talking about how to make prison easier on criminals. I am, after all, a transgender woman, feminist, activist, and advocate for the incarcerated LGBTQ plus community. Uh, he, he, uh, he added that one of his papers on discrimination against queer inmates was published by Harvard, by the LGBTQ Policy Journal at Harvard just a few years ago. Vice Magazine wrote a sympathetic article, article on this guy. So who is he? What did he do? In 1978, he raped two nine-year-old girls by approaching them at a playground and playing games with them with rope and then tying them up and dragging them into the woods and brutally raping them. Uh, then, while he was in prison awaiting the final verdict on the case, uh, Trimble uh, took one of his inmates who was developmentally disabled, turned him into his slave, in, according to the reports, and then murdered him. And now he's the one giving all the policy advice on, on the real victims here, the uh, transvestite rapist murderers, the psychosexual killers. They're the, they're, when you really think about it, you know, when you really think about it, they're the real victims, aren't they? And that's why Harvard is going to give this man a platform and that's why Missouri University is going to give this man a platform. And that's why left-wing policymakers who want to go easier on the inmates, they're going to listen to this man. The reason I bring it up is because I think the right is making a mistake. The right, as a, a rule, decries victim culture. We say, stop playing the victim. I don't want to hear about victims. All you libs, you just want to be victims all the time. And that's, that's true. They do that. Uh-huh. That's true. The issue is not victimhood culture per se, though. Or rather, I'll be more specific. The issue is not that the libs are identifying victims. The issue is that the libs are pretending that the, the perpetrators are the victims and the victims are the perpetrators. The, the issue is not that the libs are talking about victims. It's that they're getting the victims wrong. But actually, you have to identify victims sometimes. It's essential to identify victims. That's how you correct injustices. That's how you pursue justice more broadly. What, what we should be responding to this insanity with is not an idea that, oh, come on, stop playing the victim, you, you transvestite murdering killer, rapist. 
what we should be saying is, no, 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 you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy here. There are victims, but the victims are not you. They're your victims. They're the people that you victimized and you need to be punished apparently much harder than you're being punished, like way harder, like, like strap him into the chair and let's let the volts start flowing kind of punishment instead of giving lectures at, at Harvard and Missouri University. That's what we need here. We need to say, no, no, no. We actually need to ratchet up the victim culture when we talk about the actual victims, like the nine-year-old girls or like the developmentally disabled cellmate. This is what happens so often on the right is that the left takes some ordinary part of politics, you know, let's say standards or something. I talk about free speech a lot, put it in my book, Speechless. They'll, They'll talk about standards or taboos, and then the libs will completely invert them. And then the right will just throw their hands up in the air and say, oh no, never mind. I don't want to talk about good or bad or right or wrong or true or false. I just, we should just take all the limits off speech entirely. Let's just, let's just, let's just throw out all of human nature. (laughs) Let's just throw out all of the rules of social standards and taboos entirely. Wouldn't that be so much better? But that's not possible. And so what what it essentially amounts to is the right just surrendering and conceding, and then the libs get to invert the culture. Well, it's the same thing with victimhood. No, it's not that we need to totally run away from victimhood culture. We just need to identify the right victims and thereby the right perpetrators, and then punish the perpetrators harsher, more more harshly, in a more just way. Speaking of transsexuals and victims, there was a post that went viral over the weekend of some psycho quack doctor uh, named S-I-D-H-B-H Gallagher, who's a Miami plastic surgeon who specializes in mutilating people boys who think they're girls and girls who think they're boys, captioning a a picture on Instagram with a very, very young woman whose breasts she just mutilated and cut off. And this this doctor, quote unquote, said, that smile, congratulations. This was posted by a a columnist at Tablet, uh, Sasha White, who, who pointed this out and just showed, oh my gosh, can you imagine this post from a plastic surgeon? Uh, Another post from from the surgeon says, just realized I only get to yeet four teats next week with a crying emoji and a crying laughing emoji. Really, really horrible stuff. So the way this relates to the standards and the victim culture and the speech codes and all of that is this person needs to get canceled. I know that for years the right wing complained about the cancel culture. Cancel culture is bad. I, I never really thought that. I never thought it was bad to cancel people per se. You just have to cancel the right people for the right reasons, <laughs> like all societies do. But there's no question, we got to cancel this person, right? This person should lose her medical license. She should probably be put in a straitjacket in an insane asylum. But short of that, she should never work anywhere again. She should not be permitted anywhere near children, anywhere near this field. If she's going to get a job, it should be doing manual labor, ideally in a prison yard. But it, it certainly nowhere near any medical instrument. Okay. That's the first part. The second part is she's a plastic surgeon. And this is something that uh, we haven't talked about nearly enough with transgenderism. We focus on the intellectual and ideological side of it. We don't talk about the money side. We don't talk about the capitalist side of it. Plastic surgeons love transgenderism and they push transgenderism because they make a lot of money on it. Big Pharma loves transgenderism and and pushes transgenderism because they make a lot of money on it, okay? There are financial incentives here that are really horrible that we should correct from a political level so that 
very powerful lobbies and institutions and professions are not incentivized to mutilate poor little sexually confused kids. Furthermore, it ties into a, a broader issue of plastic surgery culture. We live in a culture that treats plastic surgery not just as a way to sort of restore some more normal form of the body after, say, a horrific car accident or a, a burning or, so, you know, a way to kind of restore one's uh, sense of self. We now treat it as a way to take total control over our lives and prod and prick and treat the body as nothing more than flesh to create our own ideal selves that are really disconnected from who we are. That's bad. I mean, that's kind of Kardashian culture. The idea that you take people who are already sufficiently beautiful, you take people who just, you know, they, they're, they're perfectly normal, ordinary looking people. And then you say, no, you've got to blow up the lips and you got to do the, this thing and you got to inject this over here and you got to add this piece of fat over on this side and then you'll be happy. Then you'll, then you'll be so pleased. No, it's all just parts of body dysmorphias and, and body image problems that are never going to make you happy. And in a way, transgenderism is just, is just kind of the logical conclusion of Botox. <laughs> It's just, it's just the logical conclusion of this idea that your physical body has to be absolutely so perfect. This indulgence of vanity and vainglory and, and this, uh, this idea that we ultimately ought to have total control over our own bodies and destiny, which is simply not the case because we are stewards of ourselves, but we, we don't belong entirely to ourselves. We are responsible to a transcendent moral order and ultimately to God, who is the author of that moral order. Are you... Speaking of gods, I was talking about the real God, but there are sort of lower order, you know, entities, one of which is the God King who runs the Daily Wire. Are you still giving your money to woke razor companies that hate your values and see manliness as toxic and think you should teach your daughter to shave her beard? There is a better way. Jeremy's razors, 100% real, 100% woke free, 100% fabulous. The premium matte tungsten handle has more heft than the left. The razor head pivots without caving. It's got six blades that are sharper than truth. When you buy Jeremy's razors, you are paying the salary of whoever wrote this copy, because I really like this marketing copy. And you're not just making Jeremy richer, you're making the woke left poorer, which I love. I like a nice bit of kind of vindictive marketing. 75,000 people have already made the switch. You should too. Go to jeremysrazors.com, get your Founders Series Shave Kit today. jeremysrazors.com, Jeremy's Razors, shut up and shave. Speaking of cancellations, Instagram, this is really, really great news in the culture. Instagram has just banned Pornhub. So rarely do we get good news on the culture front, especially on the sexual revolution front. This is really great news. Instagram just totally canceled Pornhub. Three cheers for cancel culture. That's my kind of cancel culture, baby but no, Pornhub's a private corporation and they have, no, they don't. They don't have any rights actually. But no, I don't think it's fair that they show. It's totally fair. Get rid of them. Totally. Get, send whoever runs Pornhub, send that person away to an island far, far away from our country because they are harming our country. Instagram removed Pornhub after mounting evidence of alleged criminality uh, that, that have, has been stacking up against Pornhub. Uh, this according to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Uh, Pornhub has recently been canceled by Visa and MasterCard. Um, and and that's, that's because of this claim of you know, sexual trafficking and, and child pornography and all sorts of stuff on the platform. 
So it's good. I'll take the win when I can get it. But the reason to cancel Pornhub is not just because of the child pornography, and it's not just because of the rape videos, and it's not just because of a lack of consent. The reason to cancel Pornhub, and the reason why it would still be legal today to cancel Pornhub just based on obscenity, and the reason why we've had laws against obscenity for our nation's whole history, even though lib, insane judges have really tried to weaken those in recent decades, is because Pornhub, and porn generally, provides nothing of value. It only, it only deprives you of value. Pornhub simply preys on people's lusts and addictions. This is like any other kind. It's like the drug peddler around the corner in the bad neighborhood. It's like the, the mafia running the numbers and the loan sharks and the people and, and even legal casinos that are preying on people's addictions. And if there are not safeguards in place, as there, as there often are not when it comes to drugs, and as there often are not when it comes to gambling, and as there 100% certainly are not when it comes to online pornography, if there aren't any kinds of guardrails in place, it's, it's just a, a, a vile path to destruction for the individual and for a whole country. We've, we've got to take it seriously. I know that sometimes the, the pro-porn people, they say, oh, you're just being a fuddy-duddy. You're being prudish. Come on, man. It's all right. It's not so bad. Naked ladies on the internet, whatever. And they're, they're pretending that this has you know, been a, just a constant theme throughout human history. It's not. Lust is a constant theme. Prostitution is a constant theme. Even naked paintings and, and photographs is a constant theme. This kind of connected internet high-speed porn everywhere all around the globe, with no that's completely brand new. We've never seen anything like that. It's just over the last 20 years. And it's why my mailbag is filled up every week with young men, and actually young women somewhat often as well, writing in about how porn has ruined their lives and they were exposed to it when they were little kids. And you just just get rid of it. That's it. It doesn't provide value. When I go out, if I sell the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which I do, if I'm selling the Leftist Tears Tumblr, I am selling you a product. You have to pay whatever it costs for the Leftist Tears Tumblr. And we've now had a, an exchange of value because now you, you know, I, I get your money and you get a vessel to collect all the Leftist Tears, which is everywhere. Otherwise, you know, it could, you'd get too much salt on your property and you wouldn't be able to grow tomatoes anymore. That's, that's why you need the Leftist Tears Tumblr. And then you can direct it down your gullet and enjoy those, those Leftist Tears. So we're, we're each getting something of value. When it comes to something like porn, or heroin, or whatever, or any sort of vice, you're, you're not getting any sort of real, deep vice, and there's no, it's just gravely sinful in and of itself. You're not getting anything of value. And so it's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong to be involved in that anyway. The models are a problem too, okay? And the advertisers are a problem too. And the credit card companies are a problem too. And Instagram, which gives Pornhub a platform, that's a problem too. And they're beginning to realize that, and they're going to cancel it, and that's great. We should cheer on that cancel culture. You know how big a problem this is? It's even affecting celebrities. It's even, maybe that shouldn't be so surprising. But to my mind, it often is. When people who are super rich and famous and have all the resources in the world, when they fall prey to the same sorts of problems and addictions and vices that ordinary people fall prey to, it's just a reminder that this kind of, how, how potent this is. You can't buy your way out of certain addictions. Very often it's the, the celebrities who most easily fall prey to addictions, drinking and drugs and promiscuity and all of that. 
Well, Kanye is just saying that too. Kanye just gave an interview. He said that pornography ruined his family. It was a little vague on how pornography did that. He says, he, he was uh, uh, writing on Instagram about his daughters and sort of to his daughters. Don't let Kris Jenner, you know, the mother or the matriarch of the Kardashian family, don't let her make you do Playboy like she made Kylie and Kim do. Hollywood is a giant brothel. Pornography destroyed my family. I deal with the addiction. Instagram promotes it. Not going to let it happen to Northy in Chicago. My kids will not do Playboy and sex tapes. He then tells Kim Kardashian, tell your Clinton friends to come get me. I'm here. <laughs> so he's saying, it's a little unclear here. Or maybe he's just saying both things. Because he's saying, on the one hand, pornography destroyed my family because I'm addicted to pornography. Right? He's saying, I've dealt with the addiction. But on the other hand, he's saying, pornography destroyed my family because my wife was was pressured into pornography by her own mother. The whole family was pressured to be, I mean, that's ultimately what got Kim Kardashian famous was becoming a porn star. And then she's done other things since then, but that was her big explosion into fame and it was arranged by her mother, apparently. And that's sick. That's really, really sick. And he's saying, you're not going to make my daughters do that. Just like your mother made you do that. Don't you dare do it. It's awful. And, and Kanye is speaking not just as a father who wants to protect his kids. He's speaking as someone who has dealt with an addiction to pornography. He's, he's saying, I've seen this issue from all sides of it. All of which is to say, and he gets to Instagram specifically, he says, Instagram's promoting it. Well, not anymore. Really, really good stuff. Kanye also made a really good point. This is a little tangential, but I loved it so much. Kanye said that the, his, the schools that his kids are possibly attending are really stupid and lib and teaching all sorts of crazy stuff. He says, they teach black kids Kwanzaa at Sierra Canyon School. What the F is Kwanzaa and who made that BS up? Everyone lives in LA for the check anyway, so no one really cares about their children being indoctrinated. Spot on. And you know, I give Kanye a lot of credit and I think that he's got a more insightful view into politics than 99% of people, including the vast majority of Republicans. He does in his own kind of weird Kanye way. He does. And he's really insightful here too. And he says, who the F made this BS up about Kwanzaa? What are the, why are these SoCal crazy teachers teaching this about Kwanzaa? He's right. It was a lunatic Southern California teacher who invented it in the first place. Ron Everett in 1966, who restyled himself Milana Karenga, but his real name is Ron Everett. He invented Kwanzaa when he was a teacher at Cal State North Beach or Cal State Long Beach rather. And then uh, a little later on, he was arrested for imprisoning and torturing women. Had a pretty bad history. But yeah, it's true. It all comes from these bizarre wackos in Gomorrah by the Sea, known as Southern California. Speaking of the academic establishment, by the way, uh, I, I saved this story until the end of the show because this is going to get us kicked off of uh, social media because I'm reading a scientific study. And when we do get kicked off, by the way, you got to come over for the member block at dailywire.com. We have the most important interview that I have. You know, I've spoken to attorneys general. I've spoken to secretaries of state. I've spoken to uh, United States senators regularly. I've spoken to people who carry a lot of weight. This is probably the most important interview I have ever given. I will have ever given. It's certainly the one I'm most looking forward to. So tune in for that over at the member block at Daily Wire. But now to get us kicked off, there's a new peer-reviewed study out. It's a study conducted by Flavio A. Cattegiani. He's board-certified endocrinologist with a master's and doctorate in clinical endocrinology. It's published in the online medical journal Curious, based on a uh, controlled population study of 88,012 people in Brazil. Okay, enough of the lead-up. 
Ivermectin is apparently really good at, at treating COVID. Remember I, Ivermectin? Okay, I'm probably not even on YouTube anymore. It's okay. Ivermectin, which we were told is not, it's terrible at, at curing COVID. It doesn't cure COVID at all. It doesn't treat it. It's horrible. Don't say, if you w- use the words ivermectin, if you use any word that begins with the letter I, you're going to be kicked off of social media. It's some scientific misinformation. It turns out it's uh, totally, totally true. According to this study, regular use of ivermectin reduced the risk of dying from COVID-19 by 92%. Hospitalization rate was reduced 100% irregular users compared to both irregular users and non-users. By the way, the impressive reduction for regular ivermectin users was evident despite the regular ivermectin users being at a higher risk of COVID death in the first place. Told you so. Where's my Nostradamus hat? Where do I get it? I don't even know where I can find my Nostradamus hat. It's back in my office in the other building. Of course we were right. Even if this study had never come out, even if this study has some error in it, which there's no evidence that it does, but even if it did, I have no doubt that this conclusion is true. And the reason I have no doubt that this conclusion is true, the reason I have no doubt that ivermectin is more than likely probably helpful at treating COVID is because all of the worst people in the world who are wrong about everything told me that ivermectin is bad. So all of the worst people who got everything wrong about COVID and who lied to us about COVID and who lied to us about everything, all of those people who have just an uninterrupted record of failure came out against ivermectin. So I, I never took an endocrinology class in my life. I didn't know the word epidemiology until about four years ago. Doesn't matter. I just know, I know with certainty that ivermectin is more than likely probably somewhat good maybe even as good as it says in this study, maybe even as good as at reducing deaths by 92% from COVID. And I know that because of a basic rule in politics, because I know my opponent. Because in politics, if you know the enemy, that can tell you a whole lot, not just about your enemy or your opponent and their moves, but about, about just about everything that they relate to in the rest of the society. Okay. Was it worth getting kicked off of YouTube to read that study? I certainly think it was, but you got to go find me over at the member block. I've got, I've got this interview. I don't, I don't want to spoil it by even telling you who this interview is with, but the rest of the show is continuing now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us. 